It sometimes seems fashionable to embrace what we consider righteous indignation at those who don't believe the way we do. But when we step back and look at our own situation, can such indignation be justified? Welcome to What We Believe and Why with Dr. George Byron Koch, an author and pastor with a passion to communicate the basics of faith, making theology accessible to all. During our last session, George began a discussion of how each of our journeys of sanctification dictate how we get along with those around us. Today's session begins with the cross. Here's George. If you'll remember from our last session together, we are looking at living with unbelievers, loving unbelievers. How is it that we share the great gift for us of our salvation of Jesus Christ with those who do not believe. And we were looking just at the end last time at interpretations of the crucifixion. And over the years, interpretations of the crucifixion have blamed it on the Jews or the Romans or the Jewish religious hierarchy of the time. These simple-minded interpretations are both profoundly wrong and misleading. They miss the point. Whoever the incidental agents of his death were, who was actually responsible for his death? You were. I was. All of us, every one of us, no exceptions, not just them, whoever them might be, but us. He paid the price for our sin. If Christians want revenge against the culprits who killed Jesus, they should look no further. Christians live inside the skin of the culprit. The profound truth of the crucifixion is this. We have all contributed to the harming of others and of our world. We are such miracles of creation, and we live in such a miracle of creation. And yet we not only take it all for granted, but we try to hoard more and more of it for ourselves, and we wound or kill others in the process. We've made a mess of a beautiful garden of life. If I were God, I'd be really angry about this and would just crush all of these ungrateful, mean-spirited, selfish humans into dust. Instead, the message of the cross is that God himself so loved us, even, even while we were ungrateful, mean-spirited, selfish humans, that he took onto himself all of that horror we've done and offered us complete forgiveness without any cost to us, but at great cost to him. For the moment, forget the religion of Christianity that has grown up around this event. Step aside from our religion's competition with other religions and beliefs and faith traditions. Just consider the action of God toward us. In spite of what we deserve, he loved and forgave us. He sacrificed himself for us. That's the fundamental reality of who Jesus is and what he did for us. This is our most foundational truth. God loved and sacrificed himself for people still caught in sin. This is a truth 
and a bridge into God's love and to an eternity that stands outside of religion and religious traditions. It is the direct and intentional invasion of a desperate and needy world by the Creator God. How can I do anything but be stunned and grateful? And if I grasp the wonder of this, how can I do anything but share it with those who haven't heard or haven't understood? This brings us to living with unbelievers, and also why it is so important to understand the difference between salvation and sanctification, which is where we started this whole program together. Unbelievers, meaning those who do not consider Jesus as Savior, come in all kinds, Jews, Buddhists, Hindus, Muslims, Jains, and more plus agnostics, atheists, and some who just never had any religious exposure while they were growing up. With few exceptions, what they don't want from you or me is unsolicited advice on how to behave in a Christian manner, however we might disguise it, morality, patriotism, restraint, and so on. Unbelievers don't desire that from us, hard as that may be for us to believe. That is not what they are seeking. Not only will they not solicit it, they will positively reject it when we try to offer it or force it upon them. How to live a Christian lifestyle, how to be better conformed to the image of Christ, how to be sanctified, these are things that follow salvation. The very desire to be sanctified comes along with salvation. The presence of the Holy Spirit in us to effect our sanctification with us and through us is a gift at salvation. That's when sanctification truly begins. What has happened often is that we Christians have trotted out the elements of sanctification and tried to give them to or force them upon unbelievers. That is not what they need. Ultimately, God desires each human being to be conformed to the image of Christ. But what unbelievers need first is that miracle, that extraordinary invasion by the Creator into a corrupt and broken world, the sacrifice of Himself for all, with the free gift of forgiveness and eternal life, that is, they need salvation. All that humans have to do is say yes. It is his power to forgive and his right to forgive. The reason some were offended at Jesus when he forgave a crippled man was this. They believed that there were only two who could forgive a sin, the one who was sinned against and God. Because Jesus had not been sinned against by the man he forgave, they read his forgiveness as an assertion of his divinity. To them it was blasphemy, because they believed a mere man had made himself out to be God. Scripture tells us God is love. It is an extraordinary gift of this love beyond my comprehension that the one who made me would himself pay the price for my sin to restore my relationship with God. It is this gift and this salvation which is what the unbeliever needs, 
not our version of sanctification offered to them as morality or correct behavior. Now, let me give you two stories of how this has worked out in the lives of real unbelievers and real believers. If you're anything like me, I learn from the what-not-to-dos as quickly as I learn from the what-to-dos. So here are two stories. We do a bad enough job with fellow believers, often worse with unbelievers. I remember many years ago reading the story of a prostitute encountered by a street evangelist. I no longer recalled who told the story or all of the detail, but an overview of it here will serve to make the point. One night, while he was on the street sharing the gospel person to person, an evangelist encountered a young woman who was a prostitute working the street. He stopped and shared with her the extraordinary gift of God's forgiveness. No matter how great the sin was, God desired to forgive. She listened. She marveled at such love. And right there and right then gave her life to Christ. She then asked, Now what do I do with my life? How do I live? What's next? He said she needed to find a church and become part of the family of God in that church. So she left the street, wandered through the neighborhood, and found a church that was open where a worship service was underway. The folks inside were singing hymns of praise to God. She came in the back of the church quietly, came up a couple of pews and moved over and stood there, wondering what would happen next. The congregation heard her come in and turned around. They saw what she was, a prostitute. They looked with extraordinary disdain and judgment and turned back to the singing of their hymns. The point is obvious, I know, but there is some further learning we can draw out of this story. What are the errors made? Let's examine what happened here. First and foremost, Jesus would not have treated her this way. Secondly, the congregation condemned her. There is no polite way to put it. Their actions were ugly and profoundly not Christian. They may have had many justifications. Light does not consort with darkness. We've separated ourselves from all that is unholy. The evildoers will be left outside of the kingdom. We don't countenance such provocative dress in our sanctuary. We didn't know she had accepted Jesus, and she probably hadn't really, or she would have looked more like us. She would have changed her style of dress before she came to our church. Thirdly, whether she had accepted Jesus and just not caught up with the local dress code, or if she was still lost in sin and stumbled into the church by accident, is irrelevant. Jesus did not require holiness before he ministered to people trapped in sin. In fact, the opposite is true. Romans 5, 8b says that, well, we were still sinners. Christ died for us. She should have been accepted and loved as she would have been by Jesus. She should have been treated with kindness and humility, not self-righteousness. We'll continue to look at this when we return in just a moment. Episode 8 continues its look at how not to treat unbelievers in just a moment. Stay with us. 